Come on, I slept two hours and then I drove. I'm really tired. Good morning. See, for those that didn't come in the church world, what happens in youth ministry is they like to get all the kids together in one one poor person's house that doesn't want them there, and they stay up all night, they eat nothing but sugar, and they drive you crazy. And that's the whole point of the weekend. And that's where I came from. I had 11 ninth grade guys, and they wanted to play question all night, and I went to bed about 2 o'clock. So I hope I don't fall asleep on you this morning from up here. So... Let's hope that doesn't happen. But anyway, if you will, take your Bible and turn to Matthew 13. We'll be there this morning. Um, we're going to be talking about uh, the passages Jake mentioned. Um, so first off, just thank you for having me again. I love being here. I love being in this really nice sanctuary with the big ceilings. I can't not look at them. Um, I'm also really glad my family came. They're in the front row, and they came to make me nervous. And I'm not going to stare at my brother's tie because he's better dressed than I am this morning. But um, thanks, to, and thank you, Jake. He actually taught me how to play guitar, and this is the rare case where the student's better than the teacher, but I'm glad you got to hear him again. But you taught me well, my friend. (laughs) Anyway, so without further ado, uh, Matthew 13, we'll pick it up in verse 44. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and in his joy went and sold all that he had to buy that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant searching for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had, and he bought it. So this morning, for this passage, I want to show you three things. Uh, First, we're all searching for a kingdom. That's the first thing I want us to see. Number two, we get into the kingdom of heaven through joyful, sacrificial faith. Number three, the kingdom is supremely valuable because of the joyful, sacrificial king. So, um, before we actually get into it, I want to give you a couple of definitions because some things are kind of confusing. So, first off, what a parable is. Um, a parable is just a story that Jesus tells to illustrate a truth. It's really simple. Um, but there's a certain way to read them. So, David Platt, who's a former pastor, the IMB president, he helps us by saying this. There's three things. Listen from the hearer's perspective when we read this. Look for the one truth. There's one main truth he's teaching. And then let that truth change the way you see it. Um, And then second, we need to think about what's the kingdom of heaven? Because that's what Christ is talking about. So the the mistake is to think the kingdom of heaven is this like geographical place on earth, and it's not. Um, The kingdom of heaven is not that. It's actually the holy reign of God. Or another pastor says, think of it as the kingship of God. The The kingdom of God is his redemptive reign over his people. So when Christ says it's like this, He's saying that God's reign is like a treasure. God's reign is like a a merchant searching for fine pearls. So first, we're all searching for a kingdom. So when you're looking at this, my thought is, the man has not found what he's looking for yet. Or why else would he be out there? Or the merchant in the sea, he hasn't found what he's looking for yet either, else he wouldn't be there. And honestly, that sounds familiar to you and me. We're the exact same way. We're all, at our core, searching for meaning in this life. Everybody, But even if you think there isn't a meaning, if you think there's not this underlying purpose that we're made with, even if you think that's not true, you're still going to live based on something. That's one of the essential things we need. We have to build our lives on something. And there's a few options. I mean, some people live for materialism. They think, I'm just going to have my career. I'm going to excel. I'm going to have my money. I'm going to build a family. I'm just going to base my life on how much I can get. That's what some people think. That's a lot of people in our culture think that way. Or the more, the better version of that, instead of the, the Billy Madison way, is more, I'm just going to be good as I can possibly be. 
And so these are the people that are going out and they're trying to fight social problems. They're going to fight education inequality. They're going to fight diseases. They're going to fight all these things. But they're building their life on, if I can just work and work and be good, then I'll have meaning. Then I'll have a belonging. Or a more funny one, actually, is people in my age in college, they're living for adventure. So these are the people that, like, they're really obsessed with hiking. They want to go to the Grand Canyon every year. And they, we honestly think that if I can live life not just for money, not just for good, but an adventurous life, then I'll have my meaning. Like, we want people to look at me and say, Austin's out there. He's seeing the world. Well, I'm not really this way, but my friends are like this. He's out there seeing the world. He's not like other people. He's wearing denim. He has a man bun. He has a beard. He's wearing flannel all the time. Austin, he's got it figured out. That's what a lot of my friends think. Um, I was in Italy last year on a mission trip, and I asked the guy, what do you think the purpose of life is? And he said, well, if I travel, I'll be a better person. That's really what he said. He actually thought that you see the world, you travel, you get experiences, then you're better. And that's just not true. And it's not that money's a bad thing or being good's a bad thing, certainly not. And I'm not saying that nature and going out on vacation's a bad thing. Those things just can't save you. Those are poor, puny, insufficient saviors. Because when you finally get to the Grand Canyon or to the Colosseum in Rome, after a while it's just a bunch of rocks. I mean, when you actually go to the Colosseum in Rome, you're standing next to a subway station and a McDonald's. And you're like, this is really the power of the ancient world. By this, you know. So after a while, it's just a pile of rocks. And that's how everything is. But our Texas morning is telling us there is something. There is something out there that is worth your time, that will satisfy, that will give you the meaning. And this is what the people wanted. The people Jesus is teaching, this is what they wanted in a king. When they wanted their Messiah to come, they wanted him to reestablish the kingdom, kick Rome out, and they were going to base their meaning, their purpose in this new king our kingdom being restored. That's what they wanted. And that kind of sounds like us. They just wanted to belong. They wanted to have purpose. And that's where they were going to find it. But Jesus says something different. So, number two. We get into the kingdom through joyful, sacrificial faith. Um, so, look back at our verse again. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again. And in his joy, sold everything he had to buy it. So, we're comparing the kingdom of heaven, the reign of God, to a treasure. And it's hidden in a field. Um, few commentaries really explain why it's in the field, but for them, they didn't have a banking system, so you would just hide your stuff to protect it. Um, but here's my question, though. How does earthly prestige or your possessions stack up with eternal life? That's the question. That's the question Jesus is asking. When you pose eternity with this life, which one's more valuable? And it's simple, really. Eternity is infinitely more valuable. Um, all these other things we can base our life on are nothing compared with that. Um, And listen to what he says in Mark 8. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? What Jesus is saying is the harder you work, the harder you work to find meaning here in your stuff, the harder you work to try and fight problems, the harder you work to build the family, and you're putting your meaning and your significance there, you're killing your soul faster. Because those things aren't satisfying. They frustrate us. They're, they aren't going to fix you. And Jesus is plainly telling us that you're wasting your time if you're putting your hope there. That's not where our hope should lie. Um, Jim Elliott famously said, He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. We're going to lose all these things anyway. We're going to lose our family one day and we die. We're going to lose our lives one day. So why not give those things away to have what you can't lose in eternity? Um, 
And anyway, who, who else will know how to satisfy beside the one that made you? Who else better to make you happy and fill your soul than the God who made it? And that's Jesus' point. Listen in Romans 8. For I'm persuaded that neither death nor life, angels nor demons, principalities nor powers, nor things present nor things to come, nothing in all creation can separate us from the love of Christ. This is the one thing they can't take away. This is the one thing that won't turn back on you. This is the one thing that will never end. Everything else we know will end. Everything else does have a beginning and an end, but this won't. Um, but my problem with this has always been, Jesus says really hard things. Like, it all sounds well and good. If I love him more than anything, I get eternity. But I feel more like if the guy sold everything to get the field and he never got the treasure. Sometimes it feels like I'm constantly just giving up, giving up, giving up, sacrificing things, but I'm never getting my satisfaction. And I just wonder what gives, you know. And I, and I look at this and I wonder that. But Jesus is not telling us just to give up your stuff. Because that would be a work. It's not just about if you give up your stuff, then you'll have this. It's to do it joyfully. So think about the rich young ruler. This was a guy that came up to Christ. He was a really good person. He said, what do I need to have eternal life? And Jesus said, you know the commandments. Um, did you keep them? He says, yes, I kept them from my youth. I kept all of them. I've loved my mother and father. I've not had any other gods before you. He lists, all, he lists them all off. And Jesus says, one thing you lack. Go sell everything you have and follow me. But what do you do? He went away sorrowful, for he had great wealth. The point is not if you do these things and give up your stuff, then Christ accepts you. The point is, will you let go of those things? Will you let go of putting your hope in your money, in your family, in your stuff, and have him as your hope, have him as your treasure, and do it joyfully? And this is where it goes from hard to impossible. If you're guilty enough, you can do almost anything. If I'm guilty enough, I will go do any kind of work. One time, I actually made my mom mad which I tend to do accidentally. I never purposely do it. Um, but when I was younger, I made her really, really upset. And it was also Dustin's fault, but he didn't actually help me out fixing it. Because whenever you do something really bad and you feel terrible, you have to go fix it. Um, and we had a bunch of this, like, tin outside the house that was strong everywhere after they finished building it. And I was like, you know, I'll make my mom happy if I can just fix all this stuff. So I spent two hours just pulling all this stuff out and stacking it up and getting it out of the way. And I was like, my mom would be happy if I just clean up the yard and I finally do it. Um, well, she was happy anyway. She forgave me anyway. But um, we all do that with this. Remember, we feel guilty. We're willing to go do anything. But you can't be joyful about it. I wasn't happy about cleaning up the yard. I was still mad that she was mad at me. Because that's what happens. And I, I wasn't happy about trying to fix it. But Christ says, I don't want you to just give up everything. I want you to be joyful. So how on earth is that possible? And for a long time, it's made me think, God doesn't want me to be happy. Clearly, if I'm just supposed to give up all my stuff, Turn away from what I want. Clearly, he does not want me to be happy here. Um, but it's not that Jesus thinks your desires are too strong. Because that was my problem. I was like, I'm, my, my problem is I want to have happiness in all this stuff. And I was like, clearly I should just give up on happiness. That's not what he wants. But C.S. Lewis changed my life with these words. It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us, like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. And that's the point. It's not that God doesn't want you to be happy. It's not that you want to be happy enough. The problem is you really don't want to be happy enough. You're not putting value in eternal happiness. You're not putting value in being satisfied for all of time. And also, don't think you can come to Jesus reluctantly or half-heartedly or come to him dragging your feet. 
May we dare not think we can do that. The one who made the universe and who came to redeem you and me, he doesn't want half of you. He doesn't want you to come apart from full joy, full hope in him. And I don't want to make this sound easy. This is really, really hard. It's really hard to turn away from this stuff. It's really hard to repent and believe. But the narrow way leads to life. The difficult path leads to eternity. And and it's not just that this is hard, but this kingdom, this treasure we're giving everything up else for is so good. It doesn't just make you want to go get it. The treasure comes and gets you. That's what's different. It's not just, I need to see this as valuable and then go after it. This thing is so good, it comes after you. So, number three, the kingdom is supremely valuable because of the joyful, sacrificial king. The kingdom of heaven is like a merchant searching for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. So for a long time, I always thought this verse was just a repetition of the first one. It was just two comparisons there, the exact same thing. I, won't, I don't have time to give you my argument for why I think the second one's different. But the point here is not just sell everything and love God. The point is God sold everything and he loved you. Our ability to love God and turn away from our stuff came from the time whenever Christ came. He turned away from himself and he came after you. I don't have time to give you my full argument for why I think this is what this teaching, but the merchant is the one searching for fine pearls. And the verse says, the kingdom is like the merchant, not the fine pearl, which is what always got messed up. And so think about what Christ did. He was God. He existed in eternity. He was glorious on his throne. And what did he do? Because of you and me, because where we were at in our sin, our inability to get back to him, Christ came down in the form of a baby. He was homeless. He was poor. He was rejected by his own people. He was smitten and stricken by God. We esteemed him not. There was nothing about him to draw us to himself, but he went to the least of these. His whole life, he did nothing but good. Everything that we can't do, he constantly did. And then in the end, he died the death we deserved, not the one he deserved. He didn't deserve any of that. He took what we deserved on the cross that day. And what's so good about our kingdom, about the kingdom of heaven, is that the kingdom of heaven comes to you. Too often we think that religion is like God to the top of the mountain and I have to work my way up. Most people think that just every religion is a different path up the same mountain and God's at the top and just you go the right way, you'll get there to him. But Christianity is different because it says it's not get to the top of the mountain. God comes off the mountain and he gets you. That's what's so different about what we believe. The kingdom of heaven is valuable because of our king. A kingdom is nothing without its king. And the reason this is eternally valuable and eternally good is that our king came after us. We couldn't do it ourselves. We could, we could never joyfully turn from ourselves and come to him apart from faith unless God first drew us to do that. Unless God first came down and said, I'm going to take away every barrier keeping you from myself. All of them. And that's what Christ did. And that's what the merchant did. The merchant sold everything to have the great pearl. Christ gave up his life to have you and me. And so whenever we think that our faith is hard and that it's hard to follow Christ, it was hard for Christ to come get us. But that didn't stop him from doing it. It didn't keep him from you. His great love is so powerful, so strong, he met the demand of God's justice. And he died in our place. And so from that, from faith in that, you are drawn in and he comes after you. And you no longer have to find your satisfaction here. You no longer have to build your whole life trying and trying and trying to make things perfect because Christ was perfect for you. There's nothing left for you to do. And if you believe that and you walk in that and you put your faith in him that this is my king and my value is going to be there, 
You're living out what he says in Matthew 6, 31, that don't lay up for yourself treasures on earth. Lay up for yourself treasures in heaven where nothing can rust or destroy it. And so the biggest thing that happens in our life, and I'll wrap up here, whenever you really trust Christ and you put your hope and your faith in the kingdom of heaven, not in your kingdom you're building, something happens. You're free. You're free from the kingdom of self. You're free from trying to build your life around what you can do. And here's the problem, is you can hear this message and hear what Christ says and think, well, now I've got to do all this stuff and be perfect. Now I have to be as Christian as possible. I have to give all of my money, all of my time, forever. Or you may think, I have to be a stuffed shirt, judgmental, annoying person in a church every Sunday. And if you like being that way, you know, God loves you, but that's not what he wants. Um, But we think that we get stuck in this mundane thing and that God is boring, but far from it. When you're free from yourself and you're free from trying to fix the world and trying to fix your family and your people and yourself, and you let God do that for you, you're free to enjoy him. And that's what we get. We give up what we were going to lose anyway, and we get everything in him. And so it's no longer about how good you can be or how smart or how wealthy or how attractive or how anything, or religious even. It's not about your religious works anymore. It's about that God did all of that for you. And there's nothing you can do to change that. God loves you perfectly. You can do nothing to make him love you more and nothing to make him love you less. You have all of his love right now in Christ. And there's nothing you can do to change that. Then you just, just mess that up. You have all of it. And so, friends, I mean, you're free because you have an eternal kingdom in him. So I beg you, base your life on that and nothing less. Don't waste your life trying to put your hope and your identity in your family, as good as family is, or your career, as much as you need a career, ultimately God will take care of all that for you. And Christ's call is that you turn away from those things and you follow him and you joyfully give up everything. And as we do that, we're not silent about it. When you find the great treasure you aren't silent about, you go and tell, guess what I found? I found the treasure. I found the thing to base your life on. It's as if you found a, a fountain And it's eternal and it will never run dry. So the worst thing you could do is try to hoard the fountain. You can't do that. You beckon everyone, come to the fountain and enjoy, enjoy with me. Because every other treasure you have in your life, you try and hold on to it. You try and hold it in your hand and not let go. But this treasure holds on to you and you can't lose it. So now it's our joy to tell everybody, come with us and enjoy this. It will sustain you as you go. And that's our hope. That's our kingdom. That's our treasure that God came after you and me. So while we hold on to anything else, why not be like the man that sold everything and followed him? Why not? So I'm going to pray, and then we'll, we'll close out our service. Um, so pray with me. Father, thank you for your mercy and for your goodness this morning. God, thank you for who you are. God, thank you that we were lost in our sin, unable to save ourselves. God, you came off the mountain and you got us. You're the shepherd that left the 99 sheep to go get the one. And, Lord, it is glorious and it's beautiful and it's, and it's worth it. And so I pray for us in this room. We'll be encouraged by the fact that it's not about what I have to do anymore. It's what God did for me. And I pray that our faith will be totally in him, totally in the fact that he saved me, not the other way around. And I pray that we would stop basing our life and our purpose on what we can do, but we would find all of that in who you are, Lord. You set us free from all of those things. I pray we would live in that freedom, we would enjoy that freedom, and we would share with the world that our King reigns, He's good, and He came to rescue you. So Lord, let us walk in that reality today. And we thank you for your Son and what He's done. And it's in Christ's name I pray. Amen.
Thank you, Austin.